we were going to play a 5-4-1 that game, slash 5-2-3. And this is going to gut me for saying this because I'm a big Kikisha and I hate Sporting. I was showing our backline videos of Sporting. <laughs> you get to CPL, it's like everyone's at this level for a reason. While you were the connection between the player and the coach, those players, like that connection with the, you, yourselves, and like the new players yeah. at Halifax. That is a mat, like one of the biggest statements so far in this pod is one thing that I took away as a coach, for me, your biggest endorser or co-signer is someone that's played for you. You know, we have like an open mic night where I think last year they called it Pints with Patrice. So they allowed <laughs> that's a good name. Yeah, they let all the fans come to this brewery. And they just see Patrice. Uh, Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been, he could have. He definitely could have taken it there, but. Do you love the Premier League? Because I know I do. And here at the Footy Culture, we are here to bless you with an exclusive discount from our friends at Fubo TV, where you can stream all the Premier League matches live in 4K. Do you love watching Han Ming Sun, Bukayo Saka, Manchester United? All of that is available to stream exclusively here in Canada on Fubo TV. So hit our link in the bio for that exclusive offer. Now let's get into the action. Welcome back, Footy Culture fam, to another episode, special one. Here with the usual crew, but we also have a very special guest today, Vaughn Soccer Club legend and current Halifax assistant coach, Jordan Feliciano. Jordan, thanks for coming by. Welcome to the studio. Excited to have you here today. Some good stories, some good fun. Let's uh, let's dive right into it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously here, Chris as well. And behind the cam, the usual gents, Dan and Dave. How's it going, everyone? What's up? What's up? Missing a couple folks today, but we'll make do. With our very special guest today, Jordan. Obviously, starting getting getting right into it. Uh, Jordan, so when it comes to, you know, obviously your coaching career, um, how did that kind of get started? Like, what was your, your kind of first inspiration to get into coaching? Probably, uh, yeah, Jose Mourinho, right around the time that he had won back-to-back uh, UEFA Cup and Champions League with Porto. I was 18 and 19 years old at the time and loved football and always had a knack for the game in my brain, but not my body. So <laughs> I could get into this with, uh, without having to play. And then um, coaching came along uh, around 2008 is when I started coaching um, non like house league um, high school volunteer hours stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I started coaching at Laurier 2008 as an assistant and then just kind of took off from there. Awesome. Would you say Mourinho's, I guess, like your, your GOAT coach, greatest of all time coach? No. Like oh, he, he was my inspiration and yeah. as a Portuguese person. He's a, a huge source of pride for our country and especially in his profession because he kind of, there's Portuguese managers all over the world now because of him. But uh, no, like things that Pep Guardiola has done, I think has surpassed everybody now. Fair enough. So Pep's your GOAT? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. how, so how old were you when you started uh, coaching? Uh, officially 22 turning 23. So I was coaching university players that were like a year younger than me. Oh, yeah. wow. I was going to say, that's pretty young. How do the players like take that in, like that their coaches? Yeah, are sometimes they're like, yeah, this guy doesn't know anything. You know, um, what yeah, like stuff like that, yeah, right? It was, it was weird at first <laughs> because I played against some of these guys. And yeah. uh, okay. it used to be called KDSL. It's like a Kitchener District Soccer League. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of these kids played there in the summers to stay fit. And I was playing there with a team of like 
old Portuguese construction guys. And like, <laughs> we used to like just <laughs> shit out of them if we couldn't beat them like technically. Yeah. Um, so then when I saw these kids in uh, preseason in August, they're all kind of like, whoa, like we just played against this guy last week and now he's uh, <laughs> coaching and, us. And now it's as the assistant coach. But it was a good dynamic because I think it was the start and the base of how I've coached my whole life. Like sports is about relationships. Mm -hmm. And because I got close with these guys, it was the head coach was a genius, but he was like a bit of a hard yeah. ass. So I was the guy that kind of put my arm around him and was like, hey, I know he said this, but he means this. And mm -hmm. then the players got closer to me. And then eventually, uh, yeah, we won OUA Provincials my first year as an assistant. Oh. Uh, beat the mighty York University at York that I Sacco was coaching. I know he's going to hate that. After <laughs> yeah. but, uh, they scored a, a bad, they made a bad back pass and uh, an extra time and our striker ran onto it and scored. Yeah, wow. Upset of all upsets, but it was a great experience, a great first year, but yeah, the dynamic was odd at the beginning. So would you, would you give uh, kudos to, I guess, that Laurier coach, head coach to kind of give you our, your breakthrough? 1,000%. So his assistant had just left that spring. I had emailed uh, Laurier, Waterloo and Guelph from Cambridge. None of the coaches answered me back except him. Wow. So when he, he replied, you know, I didn't make a penny, but it was such a great experience. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, for sure. A two year old now, you know, would go and volunteer their time at a university, you know, well, anywhere. No one's volunteering anywhere. No order. <laughs> Not to get like, and it was real time experience. Like, this oh, guy sure. threw me in the deep end. Um, I remember the first time he asked me to run an activity, he was like, how did you think it went? And I'm like, so green. I'm like, yeah, I thought it was great. It was trash. He's like, it was fucking terrible. <laughs> he goes, you, you missed this. You didn't point out that. You didn't stop it when the guy did this. And I'm just like flooding with like uh, information overload. And I go, wow, like he's right. I did miss that. Yeah. So from then on, I learned how to not answer that way ever again. So anytime he asked me, how did this thing go on? You know that yeah. means that it's okay. It was... <laughs> I think I'm this better, but he needed to know that you knew it wasn't good. Yeah, yeah. And that's where you learn. Like that's for where sure. learning happens. For sure. If you finish every session, you're like, yeah, I knocked that out of the park. Um, pe real people are going to find you out. Like Carm was another one for that. Like when I got to Vaughn, he'd be like, hey, what are you doing here with this? Like whatever activity it was. Like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this, building out of the back. He's like, that's terrible. You didn't once address this. You didn't once address that. The mm -hmm. field size is too big. You had too many guys. You Not enough neutral. What if, like whatever the case was, mm -hmm. he just picked you apart. And it just, uh, yeah, it makes you sit back and reflect and, it makes you get better. Like pressure, honestly, does uh, make you get better. So, how long were you at the Laurier? Three and a half years. Three and a half years, and majority of the time, it was like still like you're learning your, I guess, firsthand as a young young coach, pretty much, right? So, yeah, and that's where I learned the value of tactics. He was, yeah. he wanted to play one three five two. We sat back, we countered against everybody. I hated that style of play. Like, yeah, I got into coaching oh. because. You know, Mourinho's Porto teams went at teams. Like, they went to Man United and got a result. Like, they went to Monaco and smacked them in the mm -hmm. finals. Like, they went at teams, and that's how I like to coach. But it was completely different. But then I learned the value of, you know, there was kids, God bless them, they had no business playing university soccer. But those were the type of athletes we had at that school mm -hmm. at the time. And, and we made it work. Like, yeah. We made guys feel like they were giants. So we could go to a York who had, like, 19 all-stars and yeah. get a result just because these kids believe they were better than what they were and um yeah the psychological part of the game the tactical part of the game i learned like firsthand at a really young age what that was like at this yeah. level and, and like you like you said it's true like 
you got to work with what you have, right? I mean, obviously, you would love to play an attacking football type of you know, f- formation, you know, style of play, but you got to see what you have, first of all, and, and work with that. And that's something definitely you learn throughout your career, obviously. But going back to, like you said, when you were such a young age coaching these young kids, there's also such a benefit for these older uh, coaches, right? For To have you in their kind of roster because you're kind of can connect with the players a lot more than an older coach, right? Because you're at that same age, right? So you kind of get best of both worlds with your age. And I think that definitely probably helped you and also the coach and the team. Yeah, I'd say, right? Yeah, I agree. So after after Laurie, you went to Fun was next step? No, not quite. So after Laurie, I was doing um, like youth soccer and Cambridge, Kitchener, Waterloo. And then I did my national B license in the U.S. in 2012. And then in 2013, I got a job offer to coach at a youth club in uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina. Um, so that was, I was working full-time at Royal Bank at the time. And I remember I was in a vault, like counting money. <laughs> you're not supposed to have like your phone on you, obviously, for obvious <laughs> reasons. But I get this message on BBM. I'm dating myself now big time. But <laughs> BBM this message. And my branch manager, who's an absolute legend, like he's my mortgage agent now. He works nice. with my sister, who's a real estate agent. He's a beauty. He goes... Um, what are you doing, man? Put your phone away. I was like, hey, man, I just got a job offer to coach soccer. <laughs> Late, man, taking this with me. <laughs> and he legitimately just goes, looks at me, he goes, you got to go. You got to leave. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? Like, not the thing I would yeah. expect my boss to yeah, yeah. And he goes, you got to go. He goes, Royal Bank will always be here, but this opportunity might not. Like, you go, try it out. It doesn't work. You come back to the bank, we'll, you'll we'll, you'll get your job back. Um, and if it does work out, then, you know, you're on your way with your career. And it was a crazy thing to say, but it was 100% accurate. And I just saw him actually last week. I went to Vegas and I needed to get U.S. money. So he was at the branch that I had worked at. And he's like, uh, so I guess it worked out for you. Yeah. <laughs> I've had 10 years later working in a professional environment. Yeah. Who would have thought that back then? Yeah, yeah after uh, Rock Hill, I did my A license while I was down there. And that's when I met Serge DeLuca, who was at Vaughn Soccer Club. And yes. Yes. Uh, three months went by and he sent me a Facebook message. <laughs> that was another interesting way of communicating back then. <laughs> Send me a Facebook messenger. Hey, you ready to come home? And I was like, <laughs> I always wanted to work in GTA, right? Yeah, like I, yeah. I knew the talent of the players that were up here and, you know, no disrespect to Cambridge, Kitchener, Waterloo, but I grew up playing double sports. There's a lot of dual sport athletes there. Um, we had talented teams and players, but nothing of the sort of that I saw at Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Uh, old PDL had just started. The one boys needed a coach. Um, and then he, yeah, he offered me that job and, that's when I started at Vaughn in 2014. And that's the that's what he says to you? You ready to come home? That's the suggestion. Legitimately is it. You know what? That's I got receipts. I can pull it that's up. That's freaking. Are you ready to come home? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I'm like, what do you got for me? And then wow. he mentioned this group. I Bind you. I didn't know what I was getting myself mm-hmm. into. They had just lost four kids to TFC. Oh, So wow. there's 14 players on the roster. Oh, you have to have a minimum of 14 or you get fined. So oh, every God. game or two. I was like calling players up either from the B team or the team a year younger um, to make sure that we had 14 players. But uh, the best part of that was like that group was incredible. It was one of the better groups that we've had at the club period. And um, again, another baptism by fire because I'd never worked with that age group before. I never worked with U13s. So I had to learn, relearn how to coach that age because I'd always been with like university age kids or 17. They have different mindsets. Very different. Very different. Very different. So would you say coming back home um, gave you that opportunity to like really bring your talent to Canada and kind of like 
look work on that growth in the Canadian sport in general? Like, did you really just think like it was more like a, I guess like not a, was an improvement as a, as a position working from where you were in in, uh, in the U.S. and like in Vaughn, or was it really more, more like just thinking like, hey, I, I want to go back home and like work on developing the sport there, or yeah. So the the, the head coach at Laurie, Mario Mario Halliper is his name. I remember calling him when I was in North Carolina when Serge sent me that message, and I called Carm. And Mario kind of hit me with something that always stuck with me, and he's like, "Do you want to be like one of these coaches that bounces around from club to club every year because thing. they're offering you more yeah. money, yeah. or are you going to go somewhere and plant roots like he did in Kitchener, like Carm did in Vaughn, mm-hmm. plant roots and do something special for the game, like really do something special?" And when I sat back and thought of it, I'm like, "You know what? I could bounce around for years and get like better paying jobs, but..." Am I ever going to make a connection with the players I'm working with? Am I ever going to make a connection with the people I'm working with? Like, no. And then coming to Vaughn, like, who would have thought that it would have been nine years of what it was? But it was nine years of exactly that. Like, I got to put roots in. I've got cultivated amazing relationships with players that have turned out to represent our national team and won national championships on the men's and women's side now. Um, and then the staff. Staff was incredible. All the people I worked with, worked for, were top top notch so it was like a honestly it was like a hidden blessing I, I came up thinking oh yeah i got to work in gta with good players yeah that's how i thought yeah and then when i got here it was like wow Carm's amazing to work for serge is amazing then i met patrice and obviously people that know know how that story went and the players were just incredible from the 01 group all the way to the 97s back up to the old sixes which was the last group i worked with like just worked with so much talent up here it's it crazy when when they when they I guess into that message and told you to, like, you know, come to Vaughn. Was that when things kind of changed for Vaughn Soccer Club in general, or was it more like you're part of the growth and development? Because well, we played for Vaughn, he played for Woodbridge, and from then till now, what it was then, like it was not the same difference. It's a lot yeah. that before it was a lot more, you know, just competitive but recreational competitive. You know, it was nothing. It was there was like one showcase a year, but it was really like a specific showcase to showcase. It was. It wasn't the way it is today with any level in the soccer industry, especially because you can see now, Grusla, football, like everything at every age, there's intentions and there's a reason behind it and there's a process. Before, yeah, house league, you're playing rep, anything more than that, it was difficult to find. So would you say like it started like when you joined or was it kind of like, a, a were you part of that process? I'd say I came in probably at a time where it was like a perfect storm. So Karma had already put like, so much in Vaughn soccer. Um, he was taking teams on tours to the U.S. back when that wasn't really a thing, like yeah. playing against university teams, yeah. stuff like that. And then having Patrice work alongside him, I think even accelerated that because Patrice is a hustler. Like if you guys ever get a chance to have a conversation with him, like you can feel his energy and passion off the rip. Like he's Man, he's so passionate, and you know, at the time, he—I think he only had one young child at the time, so he still had the energy to go and do all this stuff. Arm was already, um, I think, established with three children, so it was a lot of work. And then I came in at the time where all of a sudden we're going to two showcases, all of a sudden we're playing three or four universities instead of one or two, um, and it was just like, yeah, it was just a perfect storm of uh, Pat kind of accelerating what Carm had already done. And then him having somebody equally as crazy with not a lot to do that was willing to take these trips last minute <laughs> and being asked to re- get a rental van and drive his aunt full of players down. But that's where, yeah, that's where it was. It was like they were at a good place. And then we had like a bunch of good coaches, but um, 
I think the difference between like where we took it was just the fact that we had equal minded people that were willing to put in a bit extra work uh, to make those showcases happen, those games happen and all that stuff. Nice. Speaking about Patrice and Karma, obviously those are well household names here in Vaughn, right? And then in, in this soccer, you know, realm, what did you learn from them? What was like the one key thing that you could say you learned from Patrice and Karma that really, you know, pushes you in, and you use today still type of so I'll try to pick one each, otherwise we'll be... <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. There's definitely a lot. Yeah, yeah. they're incredible people, and uh, they have incredible minds for the game. I would say with cars, I would say game management. Like, there were times during League One where he was, like, the third assistant. So it's like Pat, me, Anthony Vidori, Carm. And he, like, he should be at the front, but he's kind of behind us. And there'd be times where it'd be like, yeah, we got to take this guy off. Like, And he's going, no, absolutely do not take that guy off. And it's nil-nil. And he goes, if anyone's going to score a goal, it's going to be that guy. And then surely five minutes later, that guy scores a goal. And he's like, now you can take him off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one no lead. And it's like, man, how did he know that? Like, But it's just like he's got so much experience and he has such an intuition for the game. So for Carm, 100% is like game management. Like watching him manage at York, coaching against him when I was at Laurier, coaching with him at Vaughn. Like I sat on the bench with him when they had uh, 2016 uh, League One championships and they beat FC London. They were a man down, and they beat them 5-1. Oh, yeah, a man down before half. Like and he just, The way he managed the game, he was so <laughs> – I'm not going to use the word calm because people that know calm and the word calm don't go together, but he <laughs> perceived that, that he was calm because he knew what he was doing. And then for Pat, I think Pat is – he's definitely about culture. Like, he's above all of his other talents. Like, he was able to grow something that was already so strong in his own vision, and it was like – you have to buy into this or you're out. Like if this isn't all there is, like for example, at U17, U18, U19, these kids are looking for scholarships and stuff, but then they're working part-time and they're missing practices because they're working because they're after money. And I would hear him go, listen, you can make your, whatever the minimum wage was at the time, you know, working part-time, or you can get a $200,000 scholarship. You can invest in soccer, commit yourself to this, not make any money, but have $200,000 US worth of your scholarship paid. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the culture. Like he got rid of guys that were not serious, I guess, at that age and um, had buy-in from not only our guys, like the guys from Vaughn that were kind of coming through the system. But then we started getting kids from like outside the city, from like Ryan Raposo from Hamilton, wow. Dane St. Clair from Ajax, like yeah. Kamal Miller from Scarborough. He started getting these kids like, coming into the club from outside the city because they were buying into what yeah. he was putting together. So I think with Pat culture and then Karma would say his game man. So just just for the viewers who obviously aren't familiar with the Vaughn system and the Canadian football, can you just give us like a brief uh, description of like who Karma and uh, Patrice are? Just so people, viewers who aren't familiar a little bit know who they actually are and how they, I guess, who they are today, yeah, right? Yeah, so I'll start. Karma Sacco is just a... A youth sport legend, like he multiple time uh, OUA champion at York University, uh, men and women. Um, also multiple time youth sport national champion on the men's side. I think the women went have gone to nationals twice under his watch. And then he was a League One men's coach at Vaughn for um, since since inception until he went to York Nine in 2019. And then that's when Patrice kind of took over. So Patrice Geyser, head coach of Halifax Wanderers in the CPL right now. Um, multiple-time League One regular season champion at Vaughn and multiple-time League One, like, championship, I guess. Um, and he was part of the club 
the two years we made uh, Canadian championships. So he was involved the first time we played against Halifax. And then we were part of the staff, the team that played CF Montreal last year. Nice. We won and then went to Halifax and then Carm um, took over from there from when they played CF Montreal. But we were part of that that kind of uh, winning culture at the club. Amazing. Yeah, definitely uh, <laughs> big role models for players like, like, sorry, coaches like yourself and coaches coming up today, right? Do you see a lot of coaches, uh, I guess, following that same kind of like path now or like is it more like, is it hard to find those kind of coaches? out there right now yeah i would probably agree with your second statement it's harder to find people that are almost going back to what i said before like who's gonna come like just for an example i didn't make any money in my first two months i think working with pat like no. i was coaching opdl and then finishing my opdl sessions and running over to sonoma because pat's got 70 guys on the field and by himself <laughs> wow and like i'd show up there and he'd give me a half with the 35 guys and he'd take the other half with the other 35 guys and we're trying to run a session with like multiple age groups, multiple teams. And, you know, this is outdoor in February, by the way, like Jeez. the freezing cold. And I didn't get a, a check. Like who's going to do that now? Like, yeah, that's true. And, and he, like, I know how he is now, but back then I was just happy to be there. He's putting me through the ringer to kind of see if I'm going to be able to last. Yeah. And, you know, I did. And a lot of guys, if, men and women in the game now, it's like, yeah, yeah, I want to be a coach. Uh, how much do I start at? And it's like, pardon? Yeah. <laughs> like, have you coached a game before? Like, have you coached a training session with, you know, provincial level players or, you know, players that have been at TFC or NDC, which is like the, the TFC version for girls in Ontario? Like, have you been at that level where you've developed these players or worked with them before to be demanding salary? Yeah. It's, just, it's crazy. Cool. Yeah, it is. But, I think, and I'm not alone, I don't think in saying this, that even in um, like professional realms, like corporate realms, that stuff's happening too. Kids hey, yeah. At yeah. A university yeah. and they're like, yeah, my expectations are 80K salary. Mm-hmm. That's like, I worked yeah. at the bank, I was making 40K, but I was in charge of $400,000 at the branch. Yeah. That's, that's, it's crazy the, yeah. like, that shift. Are, yeah. I was happy with my 40K because I knew if I did a good job, I'd make 60K or 80K eventually. Yeah. But now they're, I don't know, it's a culture shift, but with specific to soccer, I find it very difficult to have young coaches that are motivated to come and work like for free and do, yeah. even for free, even if it's like a little bit of money, just come out and earn your keep a bit. And then if you can hang, like you'll get your, like you'll get your pay. Yeah, yeah. It'll come. That goes for everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. When my brother used to play, because he's a 2000, he's paid for Vaughn. So whatever, my dad used to coach them. They were called the Vaughn Battle Cups. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Yeah, that was my dad's team back in the day and then got taken Lombardo over. Did Lombardo take care of them after? I can't remember who took out, who took over after he left, but it was one of, one of them, maybe Serge. Oh, yeah, someone. But uh, when they went to training, you, you could see there were these young uh, trainers, I guess, coach, slash coaches that would coach, I guess, a little bit younger ages. But they didn't, like, I, I could tell that you have, like, a lot of passion for this game. Those guys were just there to be there. And you could, I'm guessing they didn't make it out after because I haven't seen them since. But, but you could see the difference of people who, who really care to be there and who don't. Like, and I, I could see what you're saying. The, the the new generations aren't. They're just they don't have that passion for doing this anymore. I agree. And I think if, if money's your motivating factor, but you're creative and you have something that like you have a talent or you have a passion for something, you're never going to be successful. Like in my mm-hmm. opinion, I think if if your passion's the motive and that's what motivates you and that's what gets you up every day, the money will follow you, will come after. And 
um, you know, at least that was true in my situation. And uh, having told you a little bit about my history, like I had to go through the mud to get to where yeah. I was. Like, mm. it's hard to convince people to do that now. It's probably better that you did because you learn way more when you when you go through the mud like that. That's like, I remember doing my, one of my first licenses. They're like, you're not whatever you learn in this course is not what's going to take you where you want to go. Yeah. It's your time on the grass, for sure. time between the white lines. And at the time, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. I probably coached like 100 games in 2021, like between League One, OPDL, U17, OYS, like all that stuff, like yeah. uh, League One reserves. Like there was probably 100 games I coached that summer, and that's exactly where it is. Like, And I never went there and said, hey, I coached X amount of games. I need this amount of money. Like, no, mm-hmm. I got a yeah. salary. If I worked above my salary, I didn't ask questions. I just did my job and yeah. took it where it went. So you're, are you, so would you say that the stuff you learned on the pitch and by Car and Patrice with other coaches that you were like underneath or learned from even the Laurier coach, would you say you learned more from them than maybe the stuff you read in a class or in books or in programs, programs research or researching? You think obviously that's I think you'd probably learn more from them than you. Yeah, would I would say the they're books. not saying yeah. books, internet courses. They're all great. Like there is a place for all of that stuff and. I admit I am a nerd. I love going, like, when Pep was open sessions at Bayern. Like, I used to watch him on YouTube all the time. I say, yeah, I love watching those. Yeah, it was amazing. But, like, yeah. I can't do what Pep does because yeah. I don't coach Bayern Munich. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, watching real world, watching Mario at Laurier, watching Carm uh, with York and with League One, watching Pat with League One or U21s or U17s, whatever team he was coaching at the time. Like, yeah, that's where you learn. And listen, that's where you learn what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Like, mm. you take things, oh, I like this activity Carm's doing, but I wouldn't do it this way. And I'll go and use it on my 2001s, for example, and do the same activity, but add my own spin on it. And as a coach, you should want to aspire to do that. You should want to make things your own because I can't do what Pep does, mm-hmm. but he also can't do what I do. And that's why yeah. that's why Pat's unique. That's why Carm's unique. If everyone just copied each other, nobody would get anywhere. Yeah, it's true. Hundred percent. I'm sure a lot of players would be like, I've done this before, I've done this before. Like there's nothing specific to you, to Patrice, to whoever it is, but like it's good. It's different yeah. for everyone. Uh James, you got a couple of questions for yeah, before no, we no, before no. we step into the next step, because obviously yeah. there, there's like there's a lot it's, in it's a, it's a lot there's a lot to your career and your and your and your path. So before we move on to the, the next uh path in your life, I know there's a couple of questions, James. Oh, I definitely think like honestly we we answered a lot of them even just through through conversation here, but uh, I think maybe one cheeky fun one we can do before we head on, I guess, to the next path in your career. Obviously, you coached Vaughn for, for quite some time. A lot of talent kind of came through those ranks. Um, if you had to, give us your all-time Vaughn five-a-side team. Oh. <laughs> Players that you coached, you know, don't take offense if you don't make the team. Yeah. you watching. <laughs> but who would you, who would you field? So five-a-side, do I need a keeper? You want? Yeah, 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 put a throw on a keeper. I'll, I'll throw on a keeper. Yeah. So... Dane St. Clair is the most disrespectful person on earth. If you watch this kid in a rondo, like he megs the outfield players. He's talking smack while he's doing it. Like Dane St. Clair has to be my keeper because he's a good shot stopper, obviously, and his feet are immaculate. Like his left foot is sweet. So I'll start with with Dane and goal. Man, (laughs) I'll go with Kamal because he's got some grit. So I'll go 2-1-2. So Kamal and Alistair Johnson as the two center backs, obviously. Who's my midfielder, man? There's a lot of good. <laughs> he's got to control that. He's by himself. Yeah. Jeez, who's that midfielder? You know what? I'll give some love to someone that like 
Uh, I worked with like very, very closely for a long time and I'll put Alistair's brother, Malcolm Johnston on there. Yeah. Um, and he'll be like a six, eight, 10. He can kind of do a little bit of everything. Yeah. yeah. So I'll put Malcolm in the middle. No pun intended. (laughs) 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 My front two, my front two have to be Massimo Farron because he's working with us right now at Halifax and Massey's nasty with his feet and he's a good goal scorer. Oh, shoot. Let's go Ryan Raposo because he's like a winger slash attacking mid. I'll put Ryan Raposo as the other attacker um, next to Massimo Farron. A lot of talent. Solid yeah. ride. A lot of talent. I know that was tough. I know that was tough. There's a lot of names in my yeah. head right now that I'm like, oh, he could have been in there too. <laughs> you're you're going to go home today. Like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> no. Or get some, I'll get some trips. I in think it. like FIFA, like with the chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kamal and, and Malcolm and Alistair and, uh, sort of, and uh, Kamal, Alistair and Dane play together at yeah. the national team. Malcolm is brothers with Alistair. <laughs> Massimo is the same age as Alistair. Yeah, and yeah. Ryan Raposo is a year different in 99. <laughs> the, per- the perfect link. <laughs> yeah. The perfect storm. <laughs> that's that's a solid five-a-side team in the comments. Let us know who you'd put in that five-a-side <laughs> team if it's not those guys there. Awesome. All right. So I guess, you know, kind of moving on, I know we mentioned Patrice a lot, uh, kind of when we were talking about Vaughn. Uh, obviously, now you've moved on uh, with Patrice to Halifax. Uh, what do you think I guess has been that biggest shift going from, you know, coaching League One and coaching with Vaughn to now coaching in the CPL and kind of that, you know, professional level in Canada. What would you say is like the biggest shift that you've found so far? I think the, at least the toughest thing for me was getting used to the, the travel. Like we're the furthest East Mm. team in the, in the country and our trek from Halifax to Victoria, which is where Pacific play. Someone told me it was like either the longest or the second longest by kilometers uh, distance in professional soccer. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, I haven't verified that, but I was told that, and it's no joke. Like, and there's no direct flight. So we got to fly into Calgary, wait, get a connector, go to Victoria. Um, if you guys ever need tips on the Calgary airport, we experience because <laughs> we, we stopped there so many times on, oh my gosh. on connectors. But yeah, man, it, the, the travel was tough. And then, like Vaughn, like we're driving everywhere. Yeah. Um, we have our sessions, we have our time set, you know, at, in Halifax, we're training in the morning now. So now it's like, you know, getting these guys proper rest, making sure they're coming in fresh, um, getting their sessions in, getting their video work in, which is something that we didn't get to do at Vaughn either. Like we're way more hands-on mm-hmm. now at the professional level, which I, I enjoyed. Um, I did a lot of coursework that didn't really help translate it at the youth level because i didn't get the time like to do that stuff with them. i could do one classroom session maybe a month where you're showing video and stuff um but now this is their job this is their profession yeah. some of the guys come up to you and go coach can you show me something that this weekend this happened and i want to look at that and like that's my favorite part so that's probably the biggest shift was yeah focusing on getting proper rest in the travel and making sure that i'm sharp and that these guys are sharp and then the next part was like the individual development and how do I help kind of contribute in a different way to the field stuff and to the team stuff um, without actually like Pat's running the session. Mm-hmm. I was used to running sessions. So now that he's running the session, I got to find my own like way around. Wait, like, how, do I, do, yeah. how do I make myself useful? And yeah, that's probably it. Like Trying to figure out where you stand and what you're supposed to be doing and how mm-hmm. you can uh, help benefit the players and the team. For sure. I have a I have a question for the you said in class sessions. <clears throat> so I'm guessing you guys do that when 
like trying to figure out an upcoming team? Do you use it yep. for that? Yeah. Yep. So what's like the importance for an in-class session? Would like, Is that more important than like actually training to prepare for the team? Or is that in-class session just like that important for them to like n- understand what how that team plays, uh, what they do, just their tactics and all? I think like for me personally, nothing will ever replace field sessions. Like that's where like my bread and butter was for years. Like I loved being on the field. I loved breaking down the opposition and then translating that to the pitch where it can kind of get lost is when you go and do the classroom video sessions, you pick out little things that maybe you might miss Mm -hmm. when you're trying to translate or transmit that information to them on the field. Mm -hmm. Um, Unless you're super like diligent with note taking, Mm -hmm. but the video sessions, like there was a time, for example, where, we had such a congested fixture list. Uh, I forget where we were, but we had a game and then we had to go to Pacific and then we had another home game like right after the Pacific game. So we were traveling to Victoria, which as I mentioned is the, the longest Jeez. stretch for us. Mm-hmm. I was doing, we were going to play a 5-4-1 that game slash 5-2-3. And this is going to gut me for saying this because I'm a big Kish and I hate sporting. I was showing our backline videos of sporting. <laughs> Um, and the year that they won the Portuguese league, yeah. excuse me, because we had never done that before. We only yeah. go to a back five if we're in the lead and it's like late in the game. Yeah. yeah. We were going to start the game that way because we had like one of our star center backs was suspended from cards. We had some injuries that we wanted to rest guys because I think we're, yeah, we we're playing Calgary. Uh, we were playing Calgary when we got back to home. Yeah. It was like a big first place match. So we went to Pacific with like a, not a weekend squad, but like some of the guys that hadn't played a lot mm. were getting an opportunity to play. <coughs> Excuse me. And it was incredible like how much that airport video session in Calgary worked out. Like we were winning at half. Oh, and then ah, was nice. PK late to tie the so, games. Like yeah. We were up at half at one point in the game and mm. uh, we were really proud of the effort that they put in. And um, he's actually a, like a Woodbridge legend, I would say. Armand Wilson scored his first professional goal that game nice, uh, nice. off a free kick. So, yeah, we were really happy with how that went just from the video. Yeah, I like that. That's cool. Um, would you say there's times where maybe you kind of bring up some ideas? Like, for example, this one, was it kind of your idea? Or was it something Patrice brought to the to the training or to the visual session? Is there something like that? Sometimes you would kind of like, like that, Patrice, I got this. Like, let me show this to the guys kind of thing. <laughs> I think, no, I think the way, the reason why we work so well for so long is um, neither of us are like scared to throw out ideas out there. So whether it was mine or his, it was irrelevant. Like we're both on board with it usually. Mm-hmm. Um, even through gritted teeth sometimes, like he might say like, because you know, for example, I do set pieces. He might be like, oh, I don't really like that corner. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, but I want to try this corner. Yeah. If guys me. do it and they're successful, great. If they don't, whatever, we go back yeah. to the drawing board. Yeah. And same thing with him. Like he might suggest something like the five four one, and I'm going, oh, no, <laughs> man. I'm getting worry yeah. flashbacks. Like we're going to defend and then counter. Like, but... You do it through gritted teeth because you think this is going to give us the best chance to win or you, you have faith or you have trust in the person that's yeah. making the suggestion. And whether it was his or mine, we did it and it worked. Like, you know what I mean? It wasn't, um, we're not so, I guess, egotistical that it matters whose idea it was. It's whatever it is, it's going to help the team win yeah. and we're there for it. Exactly. It's to, at the end of the day, it's to benefit the club, right? And, sure. and if it works, if it doesn't, at least you, even knowing you, even for example, Patrice, you said something and Patrice didn't agree with it, but you went on with it just for, for you to know that Patrice has your back. You know, he might not agree with it, 
but he has your back. That's also kind of gives you guys a bond, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no team will go anywhere without their coaches. If their coaches don't agree with each other, they can't do anything. So yeah. It's great that you guys are on board with everything. So that connection. That's to take you guys to that next level. Of, you guys, you guys sometimes look at each other like, oh, like kind of like looking at each other like, yes, like not no words said, but like you guys think in game or like make this, make this transition yeah. and put this player in. You guys just like kind of like. There's moments where something will happen and he'll look back and <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> ready to come off or he's yeah, ready yeah. to Told you. <laughs> it's the years that you guys have been working together, right? Sure. And like, do you think that's kind of something, I guess, important also? I'm not sure. I wouldn't know exactly how it works, but Patrice was brought and then he brought you with him or was it something like that he kind of made the decision or was the team kind of made a decision to let him make his own decision or was it, how did that really happen? From what I understand is he was kind of given like carte blanche and said like you bring your people mm-hmm. what you want to do and that was good he had suggested me um and then the club when they reached out to me separately they were like hey listen uh pat's put your name forward for this role is it something you're interested in etc and i'm like yeah of course like you know i've i've worked hard for this opportunity for a long time so i was excited for the opportunity um so kudos to the club for giving him that kind of free reign because you know, it happens in most places where, you know, yeah. Antonio Conte gets hired exactly. at Chelsea, he brings exactly. his own guys. His own people. But it also happens in some places where they're like, they have people already in the back room mm-hmm. that are really good. So I look at a guy like Jose Mourinho, like he's taken a lot of guys with him. But then when Andre Villas-Boas took his job and when João Sacramento left, like he goes and just finds new talent or takes Italians when he went to Rome and, uh, you know, English English coaches when he was in England. It's, yeah, it's, you know, it's up to the person who they want to bring in. But I think one of the first um, assignments I had to do when I did my UEFA A course was, you're a head coach, you get hired tomorrow. You need to give us a dossier of who you're hiring as your first assistant, second assistant, goalkeeper, coach, fitness. Then they give you like a list of traits that they think you should be looking for. And one of the things that stuck out to me is like trust, obviously. And it goes back to one of you guys that already mentioned it. Like, Pat trusts me that when he says something, even if I don't agree with it, I'm going to f- tell the team this is what we're doing yeah. and why. Yeah. And vice versa. Like, if I'm saying something and he doesn't agree with it, but he thinks it's going to benefit a player or the defenders or whoever's taking the free mm-hmm. kicks, like, he'll back me up. So I think trust is a huge thing for any, like, you guys in this room. Like, you guys wouldn't do this if you didn't have faith and trust in the guys that you work with. Exactly. So I think that was the biggest thing that stuck out for me. Like, man, I'd known him since 2016 when I was working with him. And, um, yeah, kudos to him for having, you know, the cojones, for lack of a better term, to, to go and, you know, die on that stake. No, I'm bringing this guy with me. And then kudos to the club for saying, okay, yeah, no problem. We'll we'll, let you, we'll give you yeah, the yeah. conditions to bring this guy in no. and then see where it goes. But <laughs> Turned out okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess your relationship with him definitely grew from that point on. Like you just knew, like, hey, like, obviously appreciating his the opportunity, and again, like, just having you there, obviously, it's furthermore your career and the next path and the next path. So even just speaking on that, from you're always learning in this sport. Well, a lot of people are learning on their day to day jobs, but in this sport specifically, I think you're always kind of learning. From what do you think is like has the biggest what was the biggest piece that you've learned so far? as this role in this position as in the CPL as a coach, as a manager? I think the biggest thing for me was probably that you're working against like, like like-minded people. So at league one, 
no disrespect to the other coaches at all that that played it, that coached in League One, but I always went to the game like confident that our teams were going to win, men or women, and like our men won in 2022 and our women won for the first time in 2022, and I was confident that I knew enough about the way they coached, the way their teams played, that no matter what, at the end of the day, my principles were going to surpass them and we were going to win. When you get to CPL, it's like everyone's at this level for a reason. Yeah. You know, like Calvary's coach has been there five years and he's done an excellent job with that team. Bobby at Forge has been there for five years and his record speaks for himself, for itself. Like this guy's won four championships and hasn't won coach of the year once like it's crazy <laughs> i just realized that I wow it's nuts wow <laughs> every time we go against them it's like a chess match man yeah, yeah. i literally like i take notes like during the matches mm-hmm. yeah yeah and league one i felt like i had the other teams figured out a half yeah yeah, yeah. they're they're, they're taking notes of you <laughs> yeah and we're making adjustments and i'm like bro we're gonna kill them second half yes yeah here it's like what the hell is going on with <laughs> Card James? Like, why is he making overlapping runs and he's a center back? You know, and you're watching this Stuff you didn't expect. game, yeah. something you didn't expect, something you might not have planned mm-hmm. for, and then you're having to make adjustments for it uh, on the fly, like in the moment. So I think that, for me, was the biggest difference was that, you know, we have coaches that are in this league that are very, very good, that have done an excellent job with their teams, um, that are, you know, we're all like it's bottleneck now yeah. like everybody's got the same talent everybody's got maybe not as much experience but the knowledge is there and then up philosophically it's up to you what's more important experience or knowledge and um i learned recently that i think knowledge is as important as experience so that was one of the biggest challenges for us this year was yeah definitely like not can't underestimate yeah, anybody no, for sure yeah. what, what would you say, this is a pretty funny one like what would you say like the preparation against facing again coming up against teams like chris has mentioned like there's obviously the, the field prep and there's like the, the video prep. You say you're prepared for a team, you're coming up against it, but then you're like, this isn't what we prepared for. How often does that happen? <laughs> I would say not often because like Patrice is so diligent. Our video analyst, Jed Davies, he's a, he's like the second assistant coach. He's very diligent. And that guy's like, I for, for videos, incredible. Like mm-hmm. he like puts these video packages together. Um, some of the stuff is like, really really detailed like it's really hard for you to mess things up the only thing that we really get surprised on game day is maybe player selection like personnel Mm -hmm. the odd time because all these guys are like just geniuses fighting against yeah exactly so they're just trying to do the formation last second that's what i'm saying like there's never like those last switches like that (laughs) so like for example like they on the formation sheet it says a five four one but you know it's not it's going to be a four two three one because you know like but they just try to they try to play back end center mid yeah but they They have him striker so he's going to play you know i think like you just know but it's uh you play every team four times Mm -hmm. so it's eventually you know you're going to know the other teams like the back of your hand that's why the end of the season for me, it was so much fun because it's like, we know you, you know us. Now it's like, who's going to be better on the day? Yeah. Uh, there yeah. were no real surprises at the end of the season. You prepared season. like the last two, three games for it. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, the last game was like, okay, you boys know what to do. Like, yeah. you go out and do it. Like, exactly. it's all on you guys. Exactly. That's great. That's great. I have a question then. Following up with that, obviously, your whole point is trying to, you know, play a chess game, trying to beat them. Have you, has it been ever like an issue where, you know, your, your tactics got figured out? pretty from another team and you had to switch on the fly kind of not that i can think of off the top of my head um just because i think at that level we have enough like good players that would solve that problem for us like yeah 
I'll use Massimo Farron as an example. He's a left winger that likes to cut in. He was scoring goals the same way at the end of the season that he was at the beginning of the season. So even if they doubled him or had some sort of strategy for having like a center mid goal help the fullback yeah. defend, he still would get off his shots and get his opportunities because of the quality that he and our, the rest of our team had to give him those chances. So I, I, I don't remember a time where we were like, oh shit, we're up against it now. They figured us out. Like yeah. even if they knew what we were doing, like the individual talent of the players is what's going to get yeah. you out of that like situation. Yeah, that's where you trust your players' experience as well, right? For them sure. to f able to analyze the game and okay, this isn't working clearly. Let me switch my game up and start doing this, right? Yeah, yeah. it's very well said. I agree. Um, what were like your, I guess, honest opinions of like the CPL before? Because it, it's it's well, the sixth year now. It's, this will be, this will be the sixth year. year, and you joined last year, right? Yep. So. The year was four years at the time, already completed. You joined in the fifth year. What were your honest opinions of the league, I guess, from from the year it inaugurated to, like, the fourth year, the fifth year you joined? Did you – what were your expectations as well? Like, what did you think, really, of the league before joining? I get asked this question a lot. I think if you guys ever watched Last Chance U on, on Netflix, mm -hmm. like, I thought of it like it's First Chance U or Last Chance U. First Chance U being, like, all these kids coming out of Vaughn, that I never had pro experience before, like Massimo Farron and Riley Ferrat, so mm -hmm. um, that get an opportunity to play uh, pro ball full time, getting a salary, living like a pro, work, like breathing, yeah, sleeping, yeah. eating like a pro. Then it's last chance you because it's like some guys in their late twenties, early thirties, they want to come home, they still want to play the sport, but maybe they've had like a journeyman career in USL or they played overseas and they want to come back and like play in front of their home. Uh, friends and family because that's a, a unique opportunity of course so the talent level at the start of because uh, I, I had the unique experience of like watching Serge and 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 Carm's growth at York 9 I used to go watch quite quite a few of their games and you know it, it wasn't I don't think it was as much talent individually as it is now and I think because all the coaches were relatively fresh at that time as well they hadn't had the experience in the league. Yeah. I think looking back at year five, and I'm saying this personally and what I've heard from other people in the league, like other coaches that have been in the league for a while, they said year five was probably the most fun because it was so much more competitive mm -hmm. because the coaching standards better, the player standards are better. It's not to say there weren't good players when the league started, but I think it was just not as uh, dense. Mm -hmm. Like it was a bit more sporadic each it was team. still a learning curve yes. for everyone yeah. yeah and each team had one or two like studs where i think now after excuse me after year five i'm looking at each team starting 11 their strongest 11 are solid you could chop and change maybe two or three guys but for the most part like you know that guy i would take on my team whereas i don't know if you could have said that in 2019 mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot like more experimental back then whereas to now like the fifth year like most of your teams kind of have their set players, whereas before, like, you kind of brought players in, tried it out, and there's a lot of rotation within players as well. So speaking on that, too, like, you guys brought in, again, Farron and Riley to this team. How big were they, um, I guess, for this team today? And then how was it kind of bringing those guys in and kind of keeping that same, like, relationship you guys had when you guys were playing in League One? That winning culture. And that winning culture as well. And even, like, them to kind of, like, speak on onto you guys with the players. Like, yeah, like, I've been with these yourself and Patrice from the one now joining with these new new set of players and, and how did they adapt with that kind of style as well? Yeah, I think Riley and Massimo 
fit in really well at the beginning because Mass is more introverted, but he's a very talented player. And I think a lot of guys like gravitated to him because of that. And then Riley, like, man, we could be here all night talking about Riley's antics, but Riley's like a very like the class clown kind of guy. Like his talent is immense. What he does on the field is unquestioned. But what he does in the locker room is like those, that's that, that little wrinkle you need in your, in your like fabric to make the team work, to make the culture work. And Riley's funny, he gets along with everybody. Um, and I think both of those players were huge in terms of like buffers because, you know, player Y from England might have never worked with a guy like Patrice before. He's a very unique person and I'm pretty unique. Our goalkeeper coach is unique. Our, our video guy's unique. So you're working with different people and, you know, they're going, why are they doing this? And then Riley and Massimo are there to say, oh, no, he would do this at Vaughn. Like, we would do this crazy transition drill for 70 minutes of the 90-minute session and you'd be throwing up, but it works. It like, works. It Trust works. us. Yeah. Trust us. Yeah. Trust them that they're going to do what it's going to, like, what it's going to require for you to become a better player and for us to become a better team. You know what that reminds me of, too, actually? Like, just think about it. When you were obviously coaching those kids that are almost your age, it kind of has that kind of same correlation where they're going to trust someone in that age or in their team that, you know, that, oh, trust, I know what he thinks, trust him, you know, and they can kind of get more, while well, you're the connection between the player and the coach, those players, like that connection with the you, yourselves, and like the new players yeah. at Halifax. That is a mat, like one of the biggest statements so far in this pod is one thing that I took away as a coach, for me, your biggest endorser or co-signer is someone that's played for you. Yeah. They're the yeah. ones that are going to say, like, not everybody's experience is the same, but they'll be the ones that'll be like, oh, no, this guy knows his shit. Like, he's crazy. But you kind of need that, though. Stuff. Yeah, you do. You do, because it's hard to kind of just go out of the blue and you're training a 14, 15, 20 new guys and you're just some nobody. Yep. Where now you kind of have some players you played with. Now you have players you've coached and trained before, which is key, I feel like. And it's important as well. Sure. And Patrice, too, like, even bringing you along was definitely a huge for him because if you were to bring brand new team, he's kind of like brand new staff. Left, yeah. In the... Not dirt or dust a little bit, but like he's kind of on his own, right? So yeah, that's he definitely had to do a lot more work than he did, even though he does a lot of work. But mm -hmm. he had to do that extra layer. Um, you know, our video, our video analyst, for example, took a bit to like figure him out. Like, oh, why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? How long have you guys done this for? So that you know, ha not having me there, you would have to directly yeah. solve that yeah. problem. So, so I was like, oh, there. you got it now. Yeah. <laughs> you take care of it. Talk to the other coaches. Be like, hey, yeah. You know, goalkeeper coach, uh, I know he said you have 20 minutes, but you might have 15. So you see him screaming at you to send the keepers, like, don't be shocked or don't be offended, but it might happen. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a great, great comment. Nice. Awesome. Um, going into year six and now your second year, what are your, I guess, what are you looking forward to and in, like, in the difference from last year to this year in terms of, I guess, just the league in general? And Halifax as well for the for the club and just you your the fans and put yourself uh, yeah. personal goals as well. What are you looking for? Yeah, I'd say personally, I'll I never like I loved being creative on set pieces, but I would say I never studied them the way I do now. And then I want to say like after a month or two last season, we didn't really have any threats from set pieces, and we were kind of being threatened from set pieces. So myself and the goalkeeper coach, I took over the attacking, he did the defending. And it was a learning curve because now you're doing it at a professional level. You're doing it with guys that, okay, they're going to read if you try to play short on a corner mm -hmm. that this guy's making an overlapping run. 
what if I send a third gust? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm trying to trick myself. Yeah. Where's that? Where's that gun? one? You always see those like plays on like YouTube where it's like five guys lined up yeah. and they're just all running over the ball with yeah, a set piece or like yeah. the corner, like all these guys are just running through. You get all the 11 guys just running through. Trust the me, they sold these guys everything. <laughs> Let's try this. Red Bull, I think it was New York yeah. Red Bulls did one like that okay. where they had six guys run over the ball exactly. and then the guy clipped the ball to the back post. That guy had it across. And one of the yes. five that ran over yes. the ball ended up scoring. Yeah. So trust me, we, <laughs> we've tried it all. And it's funny now because now the kids will DM me. I think uh, City and Arsenal recently had, had like set piece goals that they had scored. And now these players are sending me DMs like, like you set piece for 2024. <laughs> so yeah, personally, it's like, how do I expand? Yeah. Or uh, funny segue, because I'm doing attacking set piece uh, Zoom call tomorrow at 1130. There you go. So I have a whole presentation ready for these guys. But <laughs> yeah, that like analyzing set pieces was was a big difference for me. I'd never done that before. And then uh, trying to figure out like, you know, how, to, how do you mask throw-ins? How do you mask free kicks? How do you mask? Um, I got a cool one I'll show you guys after that we didn't end up scoring on, but I stole it from Borussia Dortmund. Um, That's his club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was sick. Rafael Guerrero, Portuguese, yeah, yeah. he's actually the one that delivered the ball, and we had a player that was left-footed that I called Guerrero, and he's also Portuguese, <laughs> so I had him deliver the Same. ball. But we didn't score from it. But regardless, that was, for me, is just expanding that for 2024. Like, how do I get better at, not only analyzing, but like giving the information to the players. How do I get them better at executing? Because unfortunately, I can't be on the field doing it for them. Yeah. Um, and then as a team, it's to build on what we did last year. Like we finished tied for second, uh, but third place on, I think it was away goals four was a tiebreaker oh, between us and Forge. Wow. Instead of head to head, which I'm still salty about because we're the only team they didn't win. They didn't beat us once. Wow. Tied them twice and beat them twice. Um, so, you know, getting. You know, that level up, that first two spots, if we can get in those first two spots, it'll be uh, a huge accomplishment for us. Um, and really, like in the near future, it's just like getting back to preseason. Like, mm -hmm. I just can't wait to see the guys. I can't wait for the first session. I can't wait to get the balls rolling. Like, yeah, the off season is too nuts and it's too long. It gives me opportunities yeah. to do cool stuff like this, but like I'm itching Appreciate to get that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, anyone would be, right? Yeah. How would you? Okay, I just lost my train of thought here. I have a question for your yeah. <laughs> You're, uh, as you said, so you're the set piece coach on attack. And so, how's it, how do you go into the game knowing what set piece you're going to do at what specific time? Do you have like names for them, or do you just go into the game? This one you're going to do first, second, third. So, that was like a Patrice guys are special. Yeah. He used to call some of our like trick free <laughs> kicks or corners like McNaught, yeah, Maple CC. Like, we had <laughs> that's so funny, yeah, we did. But then, uh, it's like, it's Maple CC. Yeah, Maple CC. Call it Maple CC. But we know, yeah. Like two or three guys get on the ball, like whatever trick, whatever trick they're about to do. No, for me, at that level, it's got to be their decision. So it could be a look that the other team gives. So one of the uh, corners I analyzed was, which was really good, is we had done something where our corner taker passed it to the guy short. And then he ran and got the ball back, and he ended up crossing it for a goal. Nice. So I think the team we were playing against figured that out. So they sent two guys, and our corner taker passed it, and it made the same run. But when he made the same run, it froze the other two. Because didn't. So we passed it back to the left-footed left-back, and he must be Tim all showed us all. And he was like the deepest guy. He whips in a left-footed ball, and our center back's in the middle of the goal. Boom, heads it in, and it was a goal. Yeah. So it was just like, we gave them the framework, and then they chose what they wanted to do. We scored a cracker against York, and 
same thing. It went, uh, I had Aiden Daniels take it this time instead of Lorenzo Caligari. And Aiden's off the field. He rolls the ball to Lorenzo, and Lorenzo starts dribbling. Aiden's meant to make an overlapping run. So York sends two guys. Lorenzo passes it directly to Wesley Timoteo. Now Austin Ricci, another Vaughn legend, he leaves the box. He's playing for York. He leaves the box to press Wesley. Wesley rolls it across to Zach, who's like our center like guy furthest back. Yeah. He takes a touch and cracks one from like 25 yards out post. Wow, it was That's the sickest yeah. goal. Like, like company. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. <laughs> um, no, but it's true. Like just before you said you yeah. go on, it's true. Like you got to give these players the framework, you know, the tactics. and But at the end of the day, they're the ones who's going to choose what to do. Right. In one moment. And I'll always say like football, there's too many variables that you mm -hmm. cannot control exactly it's yeah. not like a it's not gonna be the exact same as training basketball yeah. like you you can you know corners and free kicks is the only time you can do set plays mm -hmm. but even that like a guy in the wall leaves now yeah. all of a sudden this trick that you had when exactly. You had exactly now that's done so these guys have to be able to adjust on the fly exactly so i'm, I'm a firm believer that i'll give you the framework you have to decide what yeah. happens on game yeah. day because you know the the defend the defending team might change their look or who comes out to press or yeah. whatever. So yeah, to say that I have that much of an impact, I'll never take that credit. I'll just say, listen, this is what you can do. This is how you guys are going to set up, and then you guys choose what you do in yeah. the moment. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, going back to the season and uh, Halifax and how you guys finished. Was that expectations when you guys first arrived? Did you guys uh, overachieve? Um, what were the expectations really for Halifax from the first year when you guys got there? I think the the from the club it was like we wanted to make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. They had been out of the playoffs since the the bubble. They ended up going to the finals during the bubble, the Island Games. That was I think twenty twenty. Mm -hmm. So you know, rolling into twenty twenty two, the club had never hosted a, a playoff game, which I think was like maybe that was an overachievement. But we wanted to make the playoffs. We knew we were of course. As coaches, it might sound arrogant, but I knew we were good enough that we could get this team to fifth, fifth or fourth. Then as the season wore on and we started getting in the nitty-gritty of September, like the games are winding down and our points are going up and teams are dropping points and we're looking around and we're like, man, we can actually make a run at do this. So we actually had a not-so-good run of results at the beginning of September, which I think hurt our chances to finish first for sure because then Calvary just ran away with it. But something started working in our favor that, man, we could take second or, man, we can jump into third. And third gets to host. And second, if you won, you go straight to the finals and host. But if you lost, you got a chance to play in the semifinals and host that game. So we started gunning for that third or second spot so that we could say we would host a game. Whether it's the finals, semifinals, or quarterfinals, we'll get a chance to host a game. And I think that was, uh, you know, we ended up, like I said, we ended up finishing third. I think it was fair on on the merit of the entire season. I think we ended up right where we belonged. And if we had a couple of bounces go our way, yeah. it would have been different. Like the last game of the season, Mass got across and he stuck his right foot out and it hit the outside of his foot, hit the post and went out. If we scored that goal, we would have had more goals for and better goal oh, yeah, right. forge and we would have yeah. finished second. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. That's football. Yeah. That's why you love football. That's yeah. why we love it. Yeah. And that's why it breaks our heart. Exactly. Little things like that. Before we... Again, move on from Halifax and the CPL. Um, I want to talk a bit about um, the league in general. Again, like, how do you think it? What's the what's next for the league in terms of taking it now to the next step and being a little bit more not credible, but like having more eyes on it? 
as a fan base, viewership on television, and just even getting more fans out there. Because we do, we do, we do see there are some teams in the CPL that do have a larger fan base. I get, it, it, it can also be location. It can also be a lack of maybe sports teams in the area that you know brings the fans out. And what do you think is missing, or what do you think can like what what have, what can you expect from like fans now in terms of you know showing up and being there and you know supporting that club and being a, a fan from like really day one that kind of thing. Like on the outside looking in, I'm just a coach, but I think about community engagement. So I think about the stuff that we do in Halifax, for example. You know, we have like an open mic night where I think last year they called it Pints with Patrice. So they allowed <laughs> the That's fans. a good name. Yeah, they let all the fans come to this brewery. And they just seen Patrice. And I, and Hi. Okay. <laughs> it would have been, he could have. He definitely could have taken it there, but no, he was in a professional setting. How many can he drink? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Pints with Patrice. Everyone's just watching Patrice just taking down these pints. No, no. <laughs> very formal. Nice. He was getting interviewed yeah. uh, by like a local podcast there. Oh, cool. But they, like it was like open for all the fans. So nice. all the, you know, season ticket holders, both groups, both uh, sets of ultra groups came out. Like it was just cool. And then they're just like talking to you in an open setting. Like, you know, I go to the grocery store and the lady at Starbucks has season tickets. And like, I'll walk in with my Halifax here, like after practice yeah, to get yeah, yeah. food. And she's like, good luck this weekend or a good game. For me, it's community engagement yeah. is massive. And I say that because we're in an area where we have a club in CPL that struggled to like get fans out. And I'm just saying this from a firsthand view before I even started at Halifax, being a Vaughn coach, bringing Vaughn teams there. Like if it wasn't for me, like reaching out, I don't remember a time where, you know, someone from the club contacted me, hey, I noticed you coached the U16 boys. We'd love to give you tickets for 10 bucks a piece and host you this weekend. Yeah. And forget, like, forget me. I'm coaching like 17s, 16s. Imagine doing that for a U11 group, mm -hmm. a U12 group, yeah. and bringing them in and having them like get to experience pro soccer. Because remember, like, some of these kids can't afford to go watch TSC. Exactly. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, they have a unique opportunity mm -hmm. to bring people in this area that don't have the means to go to TFC. I'm talking Brampton, Mississauga, all that stuff. Like, bring them in, engage with the community clubs. Have them send their youth teams there for a fraction of the ticket price. Exactly. But it's not for that game. It's for the next time, you know, Jimmy wants, Dad, I want to go watch York yeah. United. Yeah. And he's like, okay, when are they home next? Oh, they're playing against Forge on this day. Like, sure. yeah, let's go, kid. And now the tickets might be 25 bucks. That dad's going to want to take his kids exactly. because, yeah. you know, the kid wants to go. Um, I aching it to, like, I grew up in a community where OHL hockey was huge mm -hmm. we had kitchener rangers we used to like me playing hockey growing up we used to watch kitchener ranger games all the time and like i loved it and they won the memorial cup it was like a big deal uh guelph storm is in the area as well like we go watch guelph storm games use that as an opportunity to engage with like especially the youth teams and who knows it might not be successful but at least like <laughs> i might give you a chance to get more people through the gates because yeah. uh yeah, I remember one point we played them in July, York United, and we had scored that goal, that corner kick I was telling you about. And I remember turning around, like I was celebrating, but when I turned around to walk towards the bench, I just look up and I just see blue shirts everywhere because it's like all of our friends, family, yeah. uh, buddies, yeah. the former players, you know, former coaches, just wearing Halifax gear that we had brought for them or that they had bought themselves or they got from the players on the team. Mm -hmm. um, 
and you don't see that a lot on the road. Like yeah. other than Forge and York, we saw a couple of Halifax fans in Ottawa. It's tough for away fans to travel. Yeah. But if you're the home team, like you gotta have home people out. Yeah. You know, put your last year's uniforms on sale, get them out to whatever winners or yeah. partials, whatever it is. Like these people have to be wearing your stuff. They have to be showing up to your events. Um, and it's not just unique to York. Like there's a lot of markets that oh, yeah, of course. don't sell out. Like they don't have jammed houses. Yeah. Like Calgary is amazing when they're full. Um Forge just Forge is such is, a big stadium. Yeah, it's that's yeah, like yeah. the lower yeah. bowl will be packed. Yeah. But the upper bowl is not not packed. And you know, you lose a little bit there. You lose a little bit when you go to Valor because it's a it's a, again, it's a CFL stadium, so it's Huge. big. So even though there's whatever, they said twelve hundred people the one game we were there. Felt like twelve because got <laughs> all over the place, and the stadium's so big. Like <laughs> you can hear the other coach, and you can have yeah. <laughs> them, hear everything. Yeah, There's the tactics. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And with us, like you know, uh, it sounds biased, but it, you go to our place and it's rocking. Like we get sixty five hundred people, six thousand wow. people. It is packed. Like yeah. my buddies that have all like flown out there are already like. The schedule came out on Tuesday, and they're like, "Hey, I'm coming July. I'm coming April. I'm Jeez, coming." Good. Yeah. All right. When are, like, we, when are we going? Both guys, whatever you want. I got tickets for you guys. Awesome. Myself. I'm like, it's a vibe. No, we love to. Yeah. We, we, again, we love making content with some of the teams too. We forward reunited, and like, it's 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 again, like, it's not just the fans showing up. It's again, it's also kind of our job too to kind of keep growing that sport here in Canada, and that's the reason why we're doing this to begin with, and why we have you here is not just having, you know, showing up to games, but having conversations and. Yeah. Getting the community involved. Who's ever watching this can now support or start watching some Halifax games, whatever it is. That's the kind of the, that's what our job is and that's what we put on ourselves. Yeah, let's, let's really, we have to show up to these games. Let's go record content. Let's go record something. Let's kind of get some interviews with the players, the coaches, whoever it is. So it's true. Yeah, like the teams definitely need to like start pushing to not just make the money, but just start building that community and building relationships with anyone and everyone. Definitely, definitely. So we got boys. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like Halifax, I think kudos to you guys. You guys have done an amazing job this season and coming up again, best of luck. Um, but let's get on again a little bit into more like the Canadian level and have a little bit to pick your brain a little bit there. And it, it kind of like, let's again, see where now that obviously you're, you're obviously focused on Halifax. That's definitely your goal now. What kind of is like your future going into the next chapter in your life? Again, you're still young. There's still obviously many more, many more, many more years to come for yourself and your and your career. Um, some Canada stuff here, James. You have some questions you want to ask? No, uh, yeah, I think you know. Um, obviously, um, mentioning a few of the players that we talked about earlier, you know, Kamal Miller, Alistair Johnson, Dane Sinclair. Um, these are some players that obviously you coached and now went on to that kind of national level. We saw them play, you know, obviously in the World Cup, uh, potentially a Copa America this year, and then obviously another World Cup to come in 2026. Um, you know, we have seen some struggles with the Canadian national team. Uh, when it comes to coaching now, obviously they don't really have that kind of solid figure uh, to kind of take them into that next chapter. Um, yeah, because Wardy Yellow's still an interim, right? Intern? Yeah, I think yeah. Yellow's in there as, as the of an interim coach. So what do you think is, is kind of missing for that national team program, in your opinion? Obviously now as a coach, you've had that kind of professional experience. You've seen some players in the CPL that obviously represent their nations uh, as well. So what do you think is kind of that next step for Canada in, t- in terms of coaching? from the outside looking in, I thought it was like, a, it's been a turbulent time, obviously with Herdman leaving and then all the stuff happening with the CSA and then mm-hmm. their general secretary that they hired ends up like not taking the job that they she was supposed to start. So it's yeah. been, yeah, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. Anytime 
like there's instability. Like I think back to like Real Madrid when they had the Galacticals. There's so much instability that they didn't win as much as they thought they would win mm-hmm. because the instability from the top like filters down eventually. And yeah. um, to talk like to speak on Biello, I have a lot of admiration for Biello. I talk. I just talked about going through the mud. That guy's been through the mud in yeah. Canadian soccer. Like he's worked at like uh, CF Montreal before it was when it was called Montreal Impact mm-hmm. and stuff. Like he's been on the national team as an assistant coach. He knows the ins and outs. For me, there's nobody better but him in terms of like like theoretically. Mm-hmm. Then he goes and brings in his own guys, which are also very highly respected, mm-hmm. Karma being one of them. And they're guys that are like entrenched in the fabric of Canadian soccer. There is no reason why they can't be successful. If they're going to get support from the top down, those guys I think will get us where we need to go. I think where maybe there needs to be a changing of the guard on the field yeah. could possibly be uh, be a big turning point for them because I'll just use an example. Like Biello would have worked with these guys during Herdman's cycle. Yeah, There might be guys he's um, loyal to that got them to the World Cup that might yeah. have kind of, I, I don't want to use the word expired because it sounds harsh, but their role might have to change yeah. now. They might yeah. have to, sure, bring them, but now they're a backup or they're a guy on the 26th the man on the roster, exactly. the 23rd man on the exactly. roster, where now they're imparting all their knowledge and experience to the new kid that's coming through. Definitely. And I think, yeah, I want to, as a fan of Canadian soccer, I want to give Biello and his staff, like, yeah, you. this is your job to have or to lose, but full support to them. I hope they... And I know it sounds bad because Trinidad, one of their players is our captain, Andre Rampersat. <laughs> so they're that's, playing. That's cool. I didn't that's like, Yeah, would it be nice to see Rampy at Copa? Sure, but I'd rather have him at Halifax and have Canada at Copa. <laughs> yeah. So what are you going to do to help yeah. out Canada? No kidding. No, no, <laughs> don't let him play. Don't let him. None of that. You're not going international duty. <laughs> not giving him no tips, no yeah. nothing. He's on his own for that game. And um, yeah, I'm going to sit back as a fan and watch that game. But I really, really hope that. They qualify because, and then not just qualify, like don't give, like give Biello the full time, let him go into that Copa, give him a tournament. Mm-hmm. Like no disrespect to Herdman, but he, he coached our women's team before he took the men mm-hmm. and we gave him time. Yeah. Like he needed time. They, mm-hmm. I think they lost to Haiti, his first gold cup. Um, yeah. We lost to Haiti like 3-1 or something. I could be wrong, but I remember there was a little struggle at the beginning there. Really and then for World Cup qualifying, man, they couldn't yeah. get a decision wrong. They were so good. So not much has changed in terms of personnel, but maybe that's what they need. Maybe they do need a little refreshing in the yeah. in the lineup, a little refreshing in the roster. Um, but theoretically, the staff should be able to pull this through because they've been in there before. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. And I think uh, another cheeky question that we kind of have, obviously, you know, you and Patrice have been, you know, together at Web Vaughn, together now at Halifax. Somewhere <laughs> down the line in the future, do you ever guys ever think that you can be potentially coaching that national team, whether it's alongside Halifax and you're coaching the national team as well? Do you guys think that's something that you can ever see yourselves doing? I mean, that'd be amazing. I don't know if it's not like FIFA where you can hold club <laughs> <laughs> or EAFC is bad yeah. Um Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's a secretly, like quietly, it's a goal of mine, like a professional goal of mine of to wear that badge, like on a jacket, on a training top, on a yeah. golf shirt, whatever they want to give me. Yeah. But um, I'm not sure if that's his ambition, but 
It's that beautiful start. <laughs> if that was an opportunity, it would definitely be something that, yeah, would fill me with a great yeah. source of pride. But more importantly, it'd be something that, you know, you'd want to be like this Halifax job. We want to be as good as we possibly can be at yeah. this job because we want Halifax to be successful. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to do this job thinking, oh, I want to be really good because after that I'll go to TFC or after yeah. that I'll go to Vancouver. Like, no, I want to be really good now where I am. Get those roots. Those opportunities yeah. will come if we yeah. do a good job. Which exactly. like, that's not why I want to do a good job. Yeah. So if we ever do get that opportunity, obviously that would be like incredible. As Canadian born, first generation of my family, like grew up playing the sport in this country, started coaching in this country, uh, worked with players that represented this country on the men's and women's side. Um, yeah, it would be a huge source of pride to be able to wear that badge. Yeah, you you've been there from from the beginning for some of the players actually at the national team level. So you can definitely see you've had that you built the relationship with some of those players where, you know, it kind of gives you a little sense of like you know, not I guess not pride, but like you know, you feel nice inside. Full, yeah, full circle. Yeah, full circle. Full circle. Yeah. yeah. So like even now looking back at like that kid volunteering at Laurier and where you're at now, did you expect that as like back then or like you know what would you tell your your younger self now like? As it's hard because like yeah. you kind of did everything right, but like what would you tell your younger self? Ending it off with a deep. Yeah, yeah. yeah that is deep. Um, I'd probably tell myself to like enjoy the path a bit more. So to give you an idea of what my mindset was at the time, like I did my uh, children's youth and senior diplomas like on back to back weekends, like to coach, right? And I thought I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go do my provincial B next and my national A next and all this stuff. And then my whole thing was like, I want to get to do my UEFA courses. Like I was doing these coaching courses to go to Europe to be able to do that. Mm. And man, then after doing the Canadian ones, I didn't get into provincial B like two years in a row. Courses canceled. Uh, too many. We actually we accidentally overbooked it, whatever. So then I looked into the U.S. and it was like a godsend. I go to the U.S. to do my national C. I meet the guy that was my instructor that ended up getting me into my UEFA B course in Ireland. I do my national B. Gordon Miller, Canadian guy in Virginia. He was my instructor. The guy was an amazing mentor for me, and I can still contact him now if I needed help. I go do my National A. I meet Serge DeLuca. He brings me to Vaughn. Like, it was like a blessing in disguise yeah. to be able to do that. So if I were to sit back and look at my younger self, it'd be like, enjoy the process. Don't try to rush and tick all these boxes because they say you need to coach OPDL. You have to have your national B. Well, I had my U.S. national A at 27 years old. I don't need, like, I didn't do any of my licenses in Canada. Yeah. They gave me an equivalency because I had my U.S., but then when I went to Europe, I didn't have any Canadian licenses. I had my U.S. licenses, and that's how I was able to get there. So I would have said, like, enjoy the ride. Don't try to skip steps. Don't try to rush the process because, you know, it sounds corny because we've heard it so much, but it literally is about the journey, like, not about the destination. I learned way more as you guys mentioned earlier, in the day-to-day than I would learn in a nine-day course or a 10-day course or a year-long course. Like the day-to-day stuff is where you get all the experience, where you get all the trials and tribulations. Um, it's not in a classroom. It's not, you know, in theory. It's not, you know, watching Zoom. During <laughs> the pandemic, I was doing my courses, logging in at 4 a.m. because Ireland is five hours ahead. Oh, so they're shit. starting at nine. Yeah. I'm starting at four. And then I got this Irish guy logging in going, Jordy, why is it so dark back there? <laughs> and it's like I'm logging in and my window and my condo is like pitch black. Open. Yeah. it's pitch black. But that's, you know, that's part of the journey and I, I enjoyed it. But 
that's not where it happens. The journey happens on the field and yeah. through all those experiences, meeting all those coaches and coaching all these kids. Amazing. Amazing. Um, before we end it off here, we always have one question. We have all of our guests kind of answer. Um, who is your GOAT? Can be just go in general. And I know people love to say Messi or Ronaldo, but it's just your GOAT. It can be player, coach, like you said. I think at the beginning of the episode, I'm not sure if you, was that part of the episode? Yeah, yeah. right? But who's your, who's your goal? Like, who do you look at and be like, that's the goal for me? The goal for me, like, the reason why I reached out to you guys in the first place was because I watched another interview you guys had with Owen Hargreaves and him speaking about being in a tunnel with Luis Figo. My passion, my uh, everything that I have for the sport came from watching him. I thought he was the most graceful player. Like, shout out to Rikosta as well because he's a Benfica, but... I didn't really watch Figo at Sporting. I had only watched him when he had already moved to Barcelona. And he was like our first kind of like global star in my generation, by the way. Not like Olafutra, Eusebio. Yes, I know. But in my generation, Figo was like the first guy that I could watch on TV, see him on a regular basis. And then, you know, Pat's a Barca fan, so he hates that he, he hates Figo and he hates that he left to Real. <laughs> I was, you know, was low-key like proud of him because I'm going, you know, Barcelona wasn't where Real was at at yeah. that time. Like 2006 Barca, sure, like stay for that. But yeah. he was there when, you know, they're getting Brazilian Ronaldo, Zidane himself, uh, Beckham, Roberto Carlos, Raul. Like yeah. their team was amazing. And like there's literally the Harlem Globetrotters of, so of football. Yeah. Like that's that was like my guy. And then, man, Euro 2000, his performances, the goal he scored against England, uh, like the crosses he was putting into assist goals, he like ignited a fire that ended up leading to what it became after watching Jose Mourinho run down the touchline at Old Trafford. <laughs> yeah, that no. stuff kind of like added up. <laughs> a goal for me as a player was was Figo. Figo was my guy. Awesome, awesome. Again, like Amazing. appreciate you for coming by. Yeah. I learned a lot today. Yeah, yeah. had an, actually one of the probably better conversations you've had with yeah. someone in the in the studio. Yeah. It was amazing, yeah, yeah, and it's definitely, yeah, like like Dan was saying, it's it's interesting for you and just us ourselves. Obviously, the viewers get some knowledge off of this. People watching, people listening, but even for myself, like just gain the back end of you know the football culture here in Canada, right? And what it what it really takes to kind of be mm -hmm. professional coach where you're at now. And again, yeah. like it's cool just that that we're seeing in our own eyes. And again, at our age, we're from where we're where it started to where it is today. We're definitely in heading into the right direction and. You know, Canada is definitely in good hands and they're definitely thanks to people like you, coaches like you and throughout the whole nation, really. So again, thank you so much for coming by. Appreciate you. Had a great, great conversation and yeah. good luck in the in the season. Yeah. Anything, sorry, before we yeah, before end, anything else you want to like kind of plug in, yeah. you know, just kind of last any shout outs, any shout outs oh, <laughs> to Patrice? The shout outs, I think I name dropped everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll have a list for you guys, a full name drop. We want to be everybody's like second favorite team. So if you're, Napolitano, Benfica, Sporting, whatever you support, uh, Halifax should be your second favorite team. You have two yeah. local guys that uh, moved out there, brought two other local guys with them to play, um, had relative, relatively a successful first season, but we want to fly the flag for everybody that, like you said, came through our, you know, nothing was handed to us, everything we took, like we earned yeah. everything that we got. So, uh yeah, we got to be your second favorite team. If you need merch, anything, reach out. I'll send your address in the DMs. I'll help you out, no problem. Oh, awesome, awesome. Again, well, James, send it off for us. Yeah, awesome, Jordan. Thanks again for, for stopping by. This was a great, great conversation. Uh, kind of getting, like you said, the in-depth 
in and outs of, you know, coaching in Canada, growing the game, uh, but also what it takes, you know, like you said, become a professional coach. Uh, so thanks again for coming by. And you know who we are. We're the culture, boys. Be the culture. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, boys. See you.